2: Kobe in the this is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcasts. And this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves have a week bookended by games against the Atlanta Hawks. My guest and I were actually going to talk before the game on Monday, but then the Timberwolves all got COVID and that was that all fell apart. So we rescheduled for today in between the 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 Timberwolves and Hawks, kind of two games set this week. And honestly, I wish we I wish the Timberwolves were just better. <laughs> so that we could, you know, the, the game, we could have a more game specific conversation about the Wolves matchup uh, against Atlanta, uh, because my guest today, Glenn, is one of my favorite people to talk X's and O's with. But um, as all you listeners know, the Timberwolves are not exactly at that point, 13 games into the season, some fault of their own, some fault of the coronavirus. Uh, but they're just a team that I think to be talking to somebody who doesn't cover the team, it's more interesting to have a big picture conversation. And I really do think that the Timberwolves and the Hawks have a a similar big picture question with teams built around an offensive fulcrum of Carl Anthony Towns and Trey young. That is an oddly similar predicament. So to chop that up with me is my friend, Glenn Willis who covers the Atlanta Hawks for SB nation at peachtreehoops.com. And, we're going to get into everything Trey compared to cat related hopefully for some of you listeners this is a little bit of an escape from from last night's disaster and uh and just a fun a fun basketball conversation but first Glenn what's up how are you holding up how's life
1: yeah I'm, i mean i'm good i can't complain the family's healthy uh you know most parts of life were just kind of right on track as they would if it be if covid never existed so that's a great place to be i'm really grateful for that um there are you know we're all living in a different world and for sure. there are things that come with that but i can't complain my wife myself and my wife are both healthy doing well my daughter's healthy and thriving and uh um you know so in the big picture things there's a lot of people out there that are struggling with different parts of life um i'm grateful and and i i you know, you know me, so I, I try to help out, you know, in places where there's help needed and, and maintain that perspective. But I'm good. Life's good. Thanks for asking.
2: Our teams are just bad. <laughs> the teams we cover are just struggling. That's that's the difference.
1: Yeah, it's, you know, if you talk to Hawks fans, it's like, a wh- they probably sound exactly the same as Timberwolves fans because they expected the team to be I <laughs> You like- don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, so to, to, I don't know that your listeners knew that before moving out towards Seattle about a year and a half ago, my wife and I spent, like, 11 years in Minnesota. So I'm pretty plugged in, not to your level. I don't cover them in podcasts about the, the Timberwolves constantly. It's not my job. But I think I – interact enough to kind of have a line of sight to what those conversations are. For Hawks fans, it was really about a completely unrealistic um, expectation about the team that they were going to be like hosting a home court, you know, series in the first round of the playoffs. And you you know me, I have a philosophy that fans are fans, fans are going to be excited. There's nothing really wrong with that. I'm not going to criticize it too much, but I don't want to hear it when I said, (laughs) look, they're probably not going to be quite that good. Uh, when we're when they're seven and seven after their first fourteen games, and I'm like, that's pretty good record for kind of where they are, and but fans are just like, well, what the hell Just
2: considering where, like, I mean, the Hawks are a year, you know, or two removed from being at the Timberwolves current and past level of being one of the they're a year removed from being one of the worst teams in the league
1: yeah and you know so and they, it, it's it's a progression and they're they're probably is a very very thin layer between them being where they are now at seven seven and basically having the same record you know so they've eked yeah. out a few on wins that you know on like they've struggled to put Detroit away twice now and Detroit, you know, has one of the worst records in the league and they, they should they, have lost to the wolves on Monday. They should have lost, right? that, they lost that game. So the seven and seven makes you feel like, well, yeah, when I look at where they were last year, I think they were four and 10 up to the first 14 it's better, but it's not that far <laughs> from their level of performance from being in that four and 10 area. So, um, so that's, that's really, if someone looks at the standings and say, well, they are very different places Sure, mm-hmm. but the Hawks aren't that far removed from having played more like a team that's won a third of their games and half of their games.
2: Right. So, the the last time you and I had an extended conversation, not on the podcast but on the phone, I think it was right after the off season, which, you know, was was about at, where Atlanta, where we think you know the classic. like what, How do you think your team's going to do this year? How do you right. think your team's going to do this year? And and it was just. I thought we stumbled upon a pretty interesting topic of just how similarly built the Hawks and the Wolves are at their core or what it seems to be that they're building around, which is this tentpole of a dynamic offense, a young offensive weapon in Cat or Trey, and this whole sort of idea of like, Kind of feels like both of these teams have all their eggs in this basket of those guys actually being a number one dude, right? And we've seen, we've seen since Gerson Rosa's has taken over, we've seen since Travis Schlank has taken over there that they have built an infrastructure around these guys that says, yeah, you're the dude, you're the most important person to this organization. And And it's just an interesting, like, philosophical conversation about, like, man, Trey and Cat can be awesome, but is that a good idea? You know, it's 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 a weird it's that weird glass ceiling sort of thing that we hit here in the NBA. Right.
1: Yeah, it is. And, you know, the maybe the most interesting parallel, even though they're obviously not on the same timeline, you know, Cat's in his second contract and, and and Trey is still the end of this season will be the soonest they could ex- extend him and and such so um but the parallels still are incre- incredibly you know um similar and uh and, and for me it's I think you know the way I look at cat is there's no reason no, no one should ever be surprised if he's the best offensive center in the league for any season right that just should right. not be a surprise at all um you know he uh, you know, I know Embiid is carrying a huge workload for the Sixers. I don't think it's sustainable. I think Kat's versatility as an offensive player puts him on another level for me in terms of what kind of value he can bring to his team on that end. And with Trey, it's it's similar. He can score and he can create shots for others. He can own a ton of usage. And the, But the question you have to ask yourself is, but how do we start to build some sort of successful defensive formula, you know, With that kind of roster building construct, you know, and I mean, a lot of people might say, "Well, it's a different thing because Kat's a center and Trey's a point guard," and that depends on your philosophy around how important it is for a certain position to be certain, have a some sort of baseline, um, you know, performance defensively. And I think there's probably some truth to it's more important for a center to offer defensive positive defensive value than a point guard, but it doesn't change the fact that. When the Hawks go up against good teams, they pick on Trey constantly, and it takes a whole other four-man unit on the floor to really try to cover for that. Now, some of that he's improved this year with just more consistent effort, but that's if you if you've noticed his shooting numbers and his offensive struggles. (laughs) I have (laughs) uh, that a lot of that comes down to the fact that they're holding him accountable on defensive end, and he is struggling Mm -hmm. to, I think, learn what it takes to be good enough on defense have consistent enough effort on defense and still have all that gas in the tank to do as an offense that's probably the parallel that is the most starkly similar is how do we get how do we how do we get all of this offensive power firepower but still have a plan that calls for them to give enough on the defensive end that it might be workable
2: and and that's what i think has been you know fascinating I'm watching obviously all four games that cats played in, but I I think I've watched like five or six full Hawks games this year too. And, and I'm watching these Hawks games and I'm like, this is the same thing that the wolves are doing with cat where it's like, this isn't the cat show. Like offensively, it isn't the cat show. It's, it's intentional about getting other players involved schematically by what the coach is putting in place, but then also the behavior of the star and Cat is trying to distribute the ball, and and so is Trey. Like, and and it, it seems, it has been more awkward for Trey as. I don't know if that's just more of an adjustment given his sort of makeup and his background and of a bat as a basketball player. Cat has always said to us, you know, you kind of take some of Cat stuff with a grain of salt, but he, he he's he's been on this line for ever since I've covered the team where he's like, I know. People think of me as this offensive weapon, but I've always viewed myself as a passer and and, and a playmaker in that way and that the offense kind of sets that up. So I think the transition that we've seen both Lloyd Pierce do and Ryan Saunders do for empowering these guys or what they're asking them to do is working a lot better with Cat than it has with Trey. And Cat has played his best defense of his career, granted four games, all that aside, it's it's interesting and you know, I'm not trying to be like the Homer guy here. I don't care, but it makes me believe more in the concept of building around cat as your guy than Trey, because I do kind of put some more weight in than maybe what you were just saying of the center being really important for, for the defensive setup. And I think for cat, he, if he's going to play defense, really engaged, really energetic the whole time, he can't be a 30% usage guy. And, and Trey ha- has had his usage when I, when I took these notes, it was still 36% this year, right. but it's different, right? Like L- Lloyd Pierce is, is, is using him in a different way that is much more intentional about, about getting these other guys involved. Can you explain that a little bit?
1: Yeah. So uh, part of that is that for Trey's first two seasons, so he's just 14 games into his third, third season now, um, He didn't really have much to work with on the offensive end. He had John Collins, who's dynamic in the pick and roll, you know, can kind of do all those things. He made himself into, last year was a 40% three-point shooter with 95% of his volume above the break. So a real, you know, shooter. I don't, I would not project him to be a career 40% guy the rest of the way, but he's good enough that he can kind of score at all three levels working in the pick and roll trade. But besides that, they really had nothing. Um, this year they brought in Gallinari and Bogdanovich as the kind of the two big offensive pieces to add. Gallinari's played in like one full game and then a quarter and a half another game before he got hurt. And now Bogdanovich has lost for an extended period. And so it's kind of swung a little bit back to there um he i mean they have capella now and you know diandre hunter has done a lot more on offense and, and just through the organic development and growth of the young other young guys in the roster it's been better must be nice yeah but um <laughs> but but the the primary thing is that when te- when you teams throw a lot at trey like put basically one and a half two defenders in his face they expected to either give the ball up and let the Hawks attack four on three. And they're not really equipped to do that without Gallinari. Gallinari, I think, was specifically bought in, brought in um, to handle that four on three attack that he can handle that Collins hasn't developed that ability. Capella they not going to do that, for example, right? Or to go stand in the corner and let like a Kevin Herter or a DeAndre Hunter create um, and still kind of have that create a ton of space at the point of attack. And... Where prior to this year, it was get Trey to double drag, you know, just across half court and get him downhill immediately working. And that was pretty successful in terms of just generating some baseline of offense. But if you go and look at kind of where they landed from an offensive rating standpoint, they were still basically the bottom third. You know, team, even in offensive uh, results. A lot of that's about turnovers, but, you know, Trey was a high risk, high reward kind of player, and they're trying to rein him in there too. So it's, it, I remember, you know, kind of towns just kind of being unleashed in his second and third seasons roughly, and him showing like all of these wow talent you know that I think everyone kind of knew the potential was there but when he really kind of applied it and it was just like holy cow this guy can do so many different things Trey's kind of has kind of been in that category the last few years but now it's can we progress you towards doing more things that contribute to winning and not just you know wow plays and maximizing your own individual output and for Trey that's setting up an entire you know, five-man unit to maximize their offensive uh, possibility and not just getting him to hide, you know, drag screens and letting him get into the paint and, you know, either getting one of his floaters or, or or pass. They're running much more complex, sophisticated stuff, which is more for him to think through and work through. He can't be, like, the instinctive player he's been the last few years. He actually has to think about running the entire offense now. And, it, and it's been a hard adjustment for him so far, I think. So... So when I
2: hear you say that the the like letting cat go sort of thing, I, I think we did, you, I think you're right. We did kind of start to see that in his you know like second third fourth year kind of. But I felt like last year was really the like this whole offense just runs through cat and it was it was the version of the double drags whatever was just give cat the ball. We're playing five out. Give cat the ball at the top top, right. and you know just let him let him either just shoot you know uh, pump and go or he was even like worked in this pretty nice little step back game. And and it was just like, that was it. Cause he was, he was just surrounded by so little. So in a weird way, they're like, they're kind of, I would say on the same like timeline to that end where last year was the first year we really saw Trey Like, Oh, this is the whole package. And I think with cat last year we saw, Oh, this is the whole package. Yet the weird part is trace 22 Cat's 25. And then you double down on the weirdness of that where, where Atlanta is this team that is like, all right, we're going for it now. As you said, bring in Danilo Gallinari, Bogdanovich, you know, uh, other Capella, the, these other pieces to Rondo, done to, to try and make the playoffs now. Yet the Wolves are here with the youngest roster in the league Right. and their star three years older. So that's that's where this whole thing where the where the the deviation begins to, to come in with this whole similar predicament or opportunity right. <laughs> glass half full right. is is the way in which the front offices have handled the roster construction so i want to get to that i want to ask you more specifically about how travis like to handle that let's take a quick break first What's up, everybody? Yeah. We have something to tell you about here at Blue Wire, and that is that we love sports betting. And whether you've been betting for a while or you're thinking about getting started, we want to let you know a great resources for sports bettors, and that's the Action Network. The Action Network is where sports fans go to bet smarter and experience real financial gains. In fact, their Action Network app was recently named the best app in sports betting. And with an Action Network Pro subscription, you can unlock the very best of the app. When you sign up, for an Action Pro Action Network Pro subscription, you can access the pro report, which includes expert projections for every game. You can see money and bet percentages on every game. You can see the teams professional gamblers are betting on. You can take advantage of pro systems, which match winning historical betting trends with the latest games and lines. You can track every bet you make and get alerts in real time. So if you're looking to bet smart,
0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
2: an Action Network Pro subscription is the way to get started. For a limited time, our listeners can receive 50% off an annual Pro subscription. Just go to ActionNetwork.com and receive 50% off an annual subscription when you use the code MORE50, E five zero. This offer won't last, so go to actionnetwork.com to sign up for a pro subscription and use promo code MORE50 to receive 50% off and start betting smarter today. All right, Glenn, so tell me about this summer, or fall, I guess, when this is all kind of going down um, and the Hawks have shifted into, their behavior has shifted into very clearly indicating we're trying to make the playoffs now and we're, we're going for it, even though our star player is only in his third year in the league. I think a lot of, you know, and I'm not living and breathing it like you are, but I think a lot of, from, from afar, the narrative was so much like, oh, Hawks ownership just wants to to, to make the playoffs. And so I guess that's my, my question is how much of that was, was true versus how much was it that Travis Slank thought like, no, we got to start cultivating a winning culture now.
1: Yeah. So I think the top line objective was that ownership was uh, running out of patience for seeing the team not perform better. I think that was part of it. Um, you have a situation in Atlanta the parallel here where a uh, head coach in his first uh, gig as head coach, uh, the leader of front office, leading a front office for the first time. And there's probably some sense of, okay, we've got to show some results in order for us to um, be trusted with another four years of the, this plan or what have you. The thing that I think is most different and why maybe Trey's a little, maybe a little further along in the timeline than where Cat was early in his year three, maybe, had nothing to do with Cat. It was more around sort of Cat had no continuity in terms of coaching and the front sure. office decision-making. Trey's had one coach. He's had one GM. The GM that hired, the GM that drafted him is still the GM of the team. And this year was the, the first year they really tried to do anything with their cap space in terms of building a team that's functional now. You know, the last two years, they used all their cap space to basically take on contracts that would give them right. what I would call modest draft, you know assets <laughs> and such. And so but what I would say is that doesn't mean that oh, the Hawks are free and clear. No, if this doesn't go well, if they only if they say they finished ninth or tenth in the east and don't kind of crack into the you know through the plan opportunity to kind of get into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. If they do a reset, either at the coaching spot or the GM spot or both, Tracy to be right where Cat was and kind of be like, okay, mm-hmm. now I have. Is there a new philosophy coming in? Is there a new, you know, what's what? What does the new coach look like?
2: And then he starts. Yeah, to- actually, that is similar because it it was it's after year three where you have the extension right. sort of thing, and Cat was on the fence about signing the max extension there mm-hmm. after the summer because it was, yeah, it was before the. The jimmy season exactly so
1: and and i would say that the timberwolves have tried like they tried to go in when they brought in see like a use the contract out of jeff teague and mm-hmm. the the um yeah. the investment they made to get jimmy butler and and things like that so but the hawks tried a point now where they're i think ownership for sure is running out of patience to see them um generate more buzz and more revenue when things go back to normal. But also maybe even a higher level objective is to show Trey that they can build a successful team around him. And with Mm -hmm. him being the cornerstone piece uh, and with him being, you know, between now and the end of this season being when they can start to explore what an extension is going to look like with him. I think they do want to show him that Trey, you can commit to us and we can commit to you. And we can trust that we can continue or find a path to move this forward towards something that is um on a trajectory towards real success, not just making the playoffs, not just getting you on an all-NBA right. team, but actually, you know, being a threat to go fairly deep, you know, in in the playoffs, if not build a team that um, you know, conceptually three years from now or whenever can actually maybe start to move towards you know, knocking on the door of a contender status, they have so far to go for that. So I, I, I don't want anyone. But
2: but that's the question, right? Like that. But you you start setting up your plan to getting there now again for both of these franchises, right? right? And and so that becomes that becomes this this question of like how early do you put your chips in the middle? And again, that's the difference between Schlank and Rosas, where you know Timberwolves fans here are like what the hell there's there's we're not doing things to establish a culture of winning like you know why weren't you know why weren't there trades made to address the power forward position and you know to have to have a Danilo Gallinari to to use your you know mid-level exception on a a Chris Dunn or what have you you know and I, I think and I'm not saying that isn't justified by by fans wanting that but it is a completely different aim that Rosas is taking that is a longer view right, right. than then what Schlenk is doing which is it's the idea of growing linearly versus exponentially and and I think for both of these teams as you were hinting at there is there's this lingering ownership questions and, and what are the you know what are the mandates what do you I think every GM would take the long view if they had the time right right but that's the kind of confusing part of it where, you know, for us over here with microphones, it's like, what's the right way to do it? And and I don't know. I, I Like, if it's so hard to win a championship, isn't it kind of the right move to go as slow as possible so as to gather as much as you can as far down the line as you can? Like, is that... Is that what both of these teams should be doing?
1: I I think um, strategically, there's a lot of merit to that. I think the flip side is, how happy can you keep your star while you're doing this slow build-up? And that's I think that's what the wolves were dealing with with Cat. Presumably, they have uh, some more runway now, you know, than before. Who knows for sure? But that's what it (laughs) kind of seems from the outside. And with with Trey. I think it's they feel like no, there's an impetus to show him that we know how to put pieces around him to maximize him and to maximize the team results so that he can not only sign that extension that makes sense from a financial perspective for him for sure, but also be emotionally and mentally bought into fully to what they're doing. and I think that yeah, is but a, but
2: that's the weird part, right? This is where it seems backwards again where who's the twenty two year old and who's the twenty five year old right It's like, wait Atlanta's needing to pitch Trey to stay here for the next five years. Like that seems kind of backwards. Like everybody signs their max extension with their team. So that, that seems kind of inverted. And it seems like the wolves should be the ones who are like, well, if we want to get cat to be here long-term to sign another deal to extend here, even if it's just a two or three year deal, you would need to be doing things now to, to win, to show that. So it, it, I mean, I, I, at the same time, I understand it, but it's also so much of this feels backwards.
1: Yeah, I think it is that way. But I, the way I look at it is let's say Tony Restor, the Hawks, you know, primary owner, uh, did decide to make leadership changes he, and sales across the board. What would that do to the way Trey saw his timeline? If Trey had a lot of input into who his next coach was going to be, for example, would that buy them two years of like okay Trey this is kind of your plan you know we involved you in you know who the next head coach is going to be and things like that and so it's it's a I think it's a, constantly a plan that's being reworked and um recalibrated a little bit and and that's just kind of how it works now obviously schlink and Pierce both want him to buy in fully to what they their plan is right now so that they're part of that plan. And there is a lot of noise, but he holds, but Trey holds the cards, all the cards, and <laughs> and there's and there's a there's noise about he him not getting along with Pierce or just not seeing Pierce as the right coach maybe for him. Now, I'm not reporting anything. That's you know that's not what I do in the sort of the analysis space. I don't do reporting, and I don't know how much of that is real. I have no clue whatsoever. And when it comes to having a young star that's trying to move himself forward um, in his career Himself something forward in his career. There's always going to be some tension between, you know, a, a young superstar player, if we can call Trey that um, and, you know, a coach, you know, is, is that tension. What I have always said when I get pulled into those discussions is, you know, Trey, be careful what you ask for. Uh, and that's what I, th- that's the piece that I think is really not in the perspective of these young stars is I don't think he understands what a reset would cost him in terms of yeah. more time to get thrown at a slower um kind of build towards where I think he believes he wants to be, even if that might increase the likelihood for success around year six, year seven. Um if that's the case, because Pierce has basically not held him accountable defensively for two years. Let him maximize kind of his offensive brand that he has. He made, you know, he started an all star game last year, you know, his second year, which is kind of borderline ridiculous. Um, and some people saw him as a guy who is approaching kind of all NBA territory, which is, you know, he wants to achieve certain things for himself individually. I never knocked that. This is their livelihood, and that's a part of kind of their brand and building, you know, you know, uh, a success formula for themselves. Hopefully that fits in with team success as well. Um, but, you know, they hired, the, for the, for example, on the Hawks side, they hired Nate McMillan to come in and be an assistant for uh, Lloyd Pierce this year. If Trey thinks his life is going to get better, if Lloyd Pierce is fired, Nate McMillan takes over, I have massive news for Trey Young. <laughs> that, that- See,
2: Glennon, now this is interesting. This is interesting from the Wolf side too, right? Because I think Cat does get that. He has had, he understands that when you switch over the coach, which he's done now three times, right. that there is going to be that drag. And it's, it's at best two steps, fo- two steps backwards to take three steps forward, right? right? And so, so that, that is, that is the big, another big deviation I see in, in this Hawks, Timberwolves thing is that, yeah, I mean, at least from where I sit too, it, it seems like Lloyd Pierce might be fired because Trey Young doesn't want him. And in Minnesota, it's the exact opposite of that from all the signals that Kat's pointing out. Like, if anything, a big part of the reason why Ryan Saunders is still employed here and will be going forward is because Carl Anthony Towns wants him to be his coach. That's a big, weird sort of difference and actually probably something... I mean, not that cat's the know-all of of this sort of stuff, but I think that kind of proves your point of the "be careful what you wish for" right. sort of thing, Trey. Like, all right, so then in your third year, Tom Thibodeau comes in to coach your team. Oh, great! He's got this. He's got this pedigree and has won in the past. You know, whatever. Choose your unemployed coach, who's the Tibbs facsimile of 2021. Like, that happens, and then. You know it doesn't work. Or Nate McMillan. <laughs> it's Nate McMillan. <laughs> it like exactly. And 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 now here you are. When you when Trey's twenty five years old, and he's on the three and ten Atlanta Hawks. Right. You know, yeah. That, where 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 Cat is too. It's it's weird, man.
1: Right. Yeah. Like it's there. There was a, it's interesting. Yeah, it's funny. There there was a game recently. I don't remember which one it was. Um, but the Hawks were up by like twenty or so in the third quarter that has to be one or two only games. So, uh, so I should be able to remember which one. But anyway, I I <laughs> joked in the three Hoop Slack channel that Nate McMillan would rather be up 55-54 at the end of the third than 95-75 to 75. <laughs> because of how seriously <laughs> how seriously His tips, defense. man. Right. And that does not, you know, f- play into what Trey wants to do. Trey wants a lot of points, a lot of assists, you know, to kind of really kind of be up at that hardened level, which he was basically – you know, last year in terms of he was top five in points and assists last year. Um, And if David Millen's going to try to grind you out to an 88 to 86 win every game, just do the math. You're not averaging, you're not getting
2: 30 a game. You you (laughs) are not.
1: And you're going to get pulled when you're not meeting his expectations on the defensive end where Trey's had a ton of leeway. So, but, but another difference is I know that Ryan has some um, collateral with the organization because of who his dad is, you know, and certain things. But for the Hawks, you know, Lloyd Pierce, f- for his lack of track record as a head coach, certainly that's a thing. He hasn't really accomplished anything as a head coach. But he's already he got pulled into Team USA last year. He has a place, yeah. cemented a place in Team USA right now. And as an organization, you'd like to have a coach who's there because that's where they mingle with the best players in the game. And you never know, that might end up being something that has value in a free agency pursuit down the line historically it sure does it sure does and so Lloyd Pierce has been building up sort of in parallel to Trey. it doesn't mean nearly as much in terms of like who holds power yeah. but in a way that a third year head coach that's won I think like 43 games in his first two years or whatever it was Lloyd Pierce has been building up kind of some value that he has individually and on his own as a coach that should matter to Hawks ownership I don't know if they're smart enough to kind of realize how to see that for what it is and what it's not because it still comes down to is trey bought into Mm -hmm. his head coach um and i think you know the way i read it from the parts i get to see and the parts i see from a distance is i think boyd pierce is managing to his own philosophy his own philosophy is similar to what we saw in philadelphia where pierce was brett brown's for a while which is we're going to build up to this And we're not going to focus on wins and losses in the first couple of years. We're going to focus on kind of building up the best parts of our players' games to kind of have a strength to work from and then start to bring the other pieces around it. Um, And again, then that's backwards from Minnesota where it was
2: was just, no, here's the style of play that we're going to play with. It doesn't matter who's on the team. Well, it does matter. We know the one player matters. We know that cat fits that style of play. Right. And thus we're just going to, we're just going to play that. And that's – you know, and that's the – if this doesn't work out in, in Minnesota or if it doesn't work in Atlanta, it will be because one of those two decisions are wrong. The, the idea for – to to bring the, the style that Lloyd Pierce has brought in or the style that Gerson Rossis has brought in. And it's just very – it's odd that one of those is coming from a coach and one of them is coming from right. – the president it's yeah weird.
1: yeah but so but you can tell me more I don't think we've hit on this with the Wolves is I think part of bringing in D'Ang- D'Angelo Russell was to show Kat that you have some say in the direction we yeah. the roster and you have some say on uh, on matters that impact the players who are playing next to you is, and especially in those primary roles you know it's not like the Wolves aren't showing that they realize they have the need to work with cat collaborate with cat on what the roster building looks like and what uh what it looks like to bring partners in that he that he buys into i I don't know that trey has one of those yet right. not one you know and so that's a so do
2: you think that's a good idea like should Schlank do that because it feels like cat's like the assistant GM here like is that a good idea
1: um i i My thought is that if you have some longevity in that relationship between front office and player, and you can incorporate the player in constructive ways into that decision-making process, that can become a good thing. But
2: But it's a delicate balance, it feels like. And
1: if you have had multiple resets on who that front office partner is with Cat, that gets harder to build that kind of trust in that we're going to bring you in you know, in these phases of our exploring who might be added and things like that. I think the Timberwolves have had enough resets there that, you know, Kat hasn't been working with a partner for five years or four years or whatever, you know, yeah. Tony Wrestler, I think should look at the situation at Atlanta and say, okay, four years from now, I want trade to have partners he's been working with for three years. If, if the guys yeah. we have right now aren't really on a trajectory to, to, be that and be his partner in a way that makes sense, then some change needs to happen, um, regardless of what I might think about Lloyd Pierce or Travis Slinker or, yeah. or anyone else. It's it, it really is about continuity, I think. And to your point, kind of a slow buildup that's not too slow all the way across the board that the players realizing some excess that's important to him and reflects well enough on him individually, but is not sacrificing sort of the big building blocks that do take some time. So it's really tricky and delicate. It's and
2: fascinating, right, man? Yeah, like, totally. And and how just, like, clearly, Travis Slank and Gerson Rosas, who are people who have established, established pedigrees from decades in successful organizations, right. Houston and Golden State, right. have come to these pretty different sort of conclusions of what the right path is to take, even with... A pretty similar set of variables i see just there's differences but i just see from trey to the market to kind of historical incompetence just a, a a ton of similarities between these two franchises and these two gms ha- have chosen really different ways to handle it it's it, interesting Yeah, but i would
1: ask you for so you know schlenk is in his fourth year i believe because he had one year where bud was his coach um, mm-hmm. But Slank was basically told you're allowed to strip it all back, get rid of all contract overhead, you know, move on from anything you can take on bad contracts if you it. And, and it seems to me like that really either that's not where the tool wolves were organizationally that that was even a possibility. Or that Rosas wasn't told that stripping it all the way back was something that ownership wanted to see, or that cat wanted to go through another three years of whatever that would look like. So mean? That- I think it's both.
2: Okay. I think it's both because, well, in a way, you couldn't strip it all down financially. What he inherited was Cat on a max contract, which is obviously a good contract, but that's right there's thirty percent of your salary cap right there. Plus you got Gorgie Jang making seventeen, Jeff Teague making nineteen. Andrew Wiggins making another thirty. There wasn't. You're right. That is a, just a difference because Gerson Rosas could not have taken the specific path that Travis Schlenk did, which was acquire marginal assets along the way, so as to kind of stack those all up and get a couple of DeAndre Hunters and Cam Redishes and finagle some things right. roster wise. So, so it it is a difference. Yet at the same time. Gerson Rosa still found a way to rip it down to the studs, right? Like he, he with some constraints. He cut off all the, some, yeah, with yeah. some constraints, but he, he cut as much baggage as he possibly could.
1: Yeah, he did. But, you know, but Slank wasn't dealing with a former first overall pick, you know, that went on to a next contract while being told, no, we need you to be better, you know, um, <laughs> you know, and yeah. that's not to say that trade. I mean, Trey, Trey is, you know, pretty efficient score. He's very efficient considering how much usage and production he handles and things like that. But it's not, it wouldn't shock anyone to know that the Hawks put, you know, extended trade, maxed him out, you know, fully yep. whatever his status is with all star and all NBA. And, you know, although they that minutia that will determine on his true ceiling earning potential and tell him, we still need you to give it a lot, need you to get a lot better on defense, you know. And so there's even a little bit of a Wiggins tray parallel, yeah. you know, there, there as well. And that's something that Ro- you know, Roses inherited the Wiggins situation. He inherited, you know, a roster that um was coming off of a season where they tried to go all in as much as they could. And so I just want to yeah. distinguish for Wolves fans that that's not what the Hawks did. The Hawks were able to strip it all that all. I mean, every bit of it. In fact, the only player that's on the Hawks roster, f- you know, from Slank's first year is John Collins. Everybody else is new. And, hmm. and they had the most cap space this past offseason um of any team at all. And there was no path for roses to take the lowest to that point. Right.
2: No, you're right. That's that. that is really good at perspective. It, it It is different. It, there's similar. It's it's a, a semi-circle thing. Right. Know, the, the I, I think the wolves are a
1: cautionary tale for where the Hawks could be in like four years. Yep. If there are too many resets, if the plan gets, you know, awesome to be a cautionary tale. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know it sucks. Um, uh, in in that sense, but that you know that's I think yeah. I think oh, you're right. I think it's what it is. Yeah, and yeah. I root for the wolves too. I mean, I lived there for 11 years and. I watched them as much, probably more than I watched any other team besides the Hawks. And and I went to, as you know, I went and saw. I, I made a point to go see Wolves' games, sometimes just to see who the opponent was if I hadn't seen them live in a couple of years. <laughs> and you get pulled into it, you know, even yeah. if that's not your the primary team that you're rooting for. Um, and I, you know, I I thought the Roses hire was good considering kind of how, yeah. chal- how. Um,
2: well, it was a strange, mountain to climb. Yeah,
1: and how strange the prior hires were giving Tibbs full full control and you know what the way they very sadly had to transition after flip, you know, and, and and so it's it's a different path, but um you know, we'll see what happens. But there is a parallel, it's part parallel, part cautionary tell, it's all of the above. Um and it's it's tricky, you know. So
2: well it's something you and I will continue to talk about either just in texting each other or over here again on the pod i mean it's 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 a tough it's a tough thing to build a franchise up <laughs> you know from from the bottom and, and in a small market and it's the challenge both the atlanta hawks and the minnesota timberwolves face uh glenn thank you for doing this i gotta go <clears throat> jump on a press conference zoom call with uh saunders after that game which should probably shouldn't be something i miss because uh some questions probably are going to be brought up there that were interesting after that semi debacle last night. But I, I appreciate you coming on, man, and everybody. You can, I mean, I'll have Glenn's whole information in you know in the tweets and stuff. But but follow Glenn. He's he's one of the smartest people um, that I've I've met in this industry. A former basketball coach himself, um, and and you can follow Glenn on Twitter at Willis underscore Glenn. But uh, but yeah, give give Glenn the time. He's he's, he's does great work over at Peachtree Hoops. Thanks, man. Thanks for
1: having me on, Dane. Always happy to, to talk hoops with you, and especially these never-ending threads between the team you cover and the team that I watch with <laughs> and, and comment on. Yes, sir.
2: Um, all right, uh, I will be back. Actually, gonna record again tonight uh, with Britt Robson, so I'll have that up um, sometime on on Friday before the game, too. So thank you all for listening to my binge of of shows here. And until next time, I'm Dane. Peace out. How I'm feeling Never stop, yeah. Green and hot, so you can find me in the crowd.